Our Father, uh, we again come before you and we ask for your guidance, uh, especially for those who are parenting here, those that uh, are working with uh, parents who are struggling in various ways. We thank you again for your sufficient word, for your design, for your calling. Father, grant us the understanding and the grace and the wisdom that's needed for what's ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last hour, we considered primarily uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 in that everyday talk uh, that um, should be in a sense systematically, uh, but also situational, where the the Word of God is impressed upon us so that we can therefore impress it upon others. And the ultimate purpose of that is to point them to Christ. And so as we are now into uh, the New Testament, we are into Ephesians chapter 6. So turn there if you would. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3. Um, to start with and get into verse 4. Again, this is another one of those absolute key passages for parenting, helping parents understand um, their calling, understand what that calling looks like. Uh, So, so important. And so Ephesians chapter 6, let's take a look starting with the child's calling. Uh, First, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3, where we have a passage here to the children. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents... In the Lord, for what reason? For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so from these verses as parents, we need to consider here um, that God has given parents the role of authority over children. Okay, that's something as parents we just have to accept. Right? God's given us the authority, so what does that authority look like? What are the implications of that authority? And so uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3 is a passage um, where we at, at our church, Grace Community Church, actually have our toddler class around age 2 where they, they've just learned to walk until they turn age 3. Uh, this is a passage we have them memorize. Um, this is part of their, their Sunday school curriculum because we want them to know um, the what God has called them specifically to do and the importance of that. We want them from very early age to know that they are themselves under the authority of God and under that authority, they are to be under the authority of the parents and that they are to honor and to obey their parents. And so uh, important to ingrain this one in at a young age and then understand, help them understand why this is important as well. And so children... Um, are to be under the authority. Uh, second, God or children honor God when they honor their parents. Children honor God when they honor their parents. And so what does this look like to honor the parents? What's involved in this? Um, just recently, I've been working with uh, some children um, from, a, from a difficult home situation, basically one parent. Um, what we just talked about in the last hour really was, was not modeled. Uh, there was a lot of a grief in the home. There was, was not a, a, a Christ-centered home. And so in working with the children um, and, and parent and, and trying to help them understand God's will for their lives in regards to the relationship with their parent, um, we've been working through um, a chapter on the fifth commandment from this book you see here, The King's Highway, The Ten Commandments Explained to the Young by Richard Newton, and uh, has been so good in, in, in a couple of ways. One, just in thinking through God's goodness and giving children this command, uh, but then also in helping them understand God's will for them as young people in the context of their home 
uh, multiple times and working through and reading and discussing with this, with this uh, with them uh, just to the point of tears because one I realized this has not been this home, but also in seeing lights start to go off in, in their heads and they're, they're starting to get it and the implications of this and the importance of this in their lives and the way they interact with their parent so so important and and we need uh, as parents to teach our children what God has specifically given to them in the context of this passage and so Richard Newton kind of gave us the outline for the first part of this handout here as we think through what it means to honor uh, our parents we want to teach children uh, basically these four precepts um, concepts the first is a command it's obedience um, children need to obey uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 children obey your parents uh, along this in Ted Tripp's book instructing a child heart a child's heart he encourages parents to help their children understand this that God is good and kind uh, who has made you and all things for his own glory who freely gives us every good gift has given you a mother and a father who are wise who are mature and who have life experience it is a good thing for you to obey mommy and daddy. Okay, so obviously we're, we're thinking younger kids here, mommy-daddy language. Um, but so important that they understand this is a good thing. God is good. His ways are good. His word is good. And he's given it to you for your good. They need to grasp that. God is not some kind of cosmic killjoy. Right? God is not in the way of our ultimate good. He is the ultimate good, and He enables us to walk in that as we look to His Word and honor Him. And so they need to understand the importance of obedience. So what does that obedience look like? Then Richard Newton gives three adjectives to help us understand that. Number one, ready obedience. Ready obedience. Uh, when should children obey? Without delay, Right? Obey without delay. When you think of obedience, it should be ready obedience. Uh, maybe an example of the importance of this practically. So we live on a, on a county road. It's about 60 feet to the, to the county road from my front door. And we've raised most of our, our children in that house. And uh, as you kind of come around the corner to our driveway, there's not a long visibility there. So if they're right on the side of the road, they're not really going to be seen until last minute. So somebody's going 40 miles per hour, child's in the road, probably not going to go well. So if I'm standing on the side of the house and I see a car coming and I tell my child, come, and they stand there and think, hmm, why? Or they start arguing with me, is it potentially going to go well with them? Well, one, no, because they're going to disobey, but they could get hit by a car, right? And so it's a good thing that they obey and they should obey without delay. Likewise, in our relationship with the Lord, when should we obey? Whenever we feel like it? Or right away because it's what's right and good. It's what honors Him. And likewise, our children need to be instructed from a very early age to honor and to obey right away. So ready obedience. A second kind of obedience um, is absent obedience. Now, this isn't absent-minded obedience. <laughs> okay, This is absent obedience in that if a parent instructs a child in what they should do, or not do, and then the parent is absent, and maybe a friend or perhaps even another parent tells them to do something else, should they still obey the parent in the parent's absence? Yes, because the parent has called them to obey, right? The child doesn't need to necessarily understand the implications of that, um, why they need to obey the parents, but they, well, they do need to understand that. But in the context of what's going on, they shouldn't give in to the peer pressure of others. They need to honor and obey their parent. 
And the reality of it is that the parent may be absent who isn't. God. God sees and knows all things, right? And so they need to understand that they obey their parents, they honor their parents as unto the Lord, in the Lord. And so that involves absent obedience as well when the parents are not present. Another and and fourth component of an adjective to describe this obedience is affectionate obedience. And so by affectionate obedience, he talks about not just doing at a bare minimum of what needs to be done so I don't get a consequence, right? It's, it's doing it, doing it as unto the Lord, and not only doing that, but how else could I honor my parent? What are other things I could do to show honor to them? Now, wouldn't it be great to have kids that do that all the time? <laughs> and yet, as I was discussing this concept, what it means to honor the parents with, with these, these young kids, uh, lights were going off in their heads, like, oh, wow. You know, we've never, it's just basically I need to do what I need to do so I don't get a consequence. Not really thinking about who the Lord is in the midst of this and how to honor Him and glorify Him in the midst of being obedient or honoring my parent. And so a sense of affectionate obedience, um, they do it uh, ultimately out of love of God and love of parent. And again, you may have a non-believing child, and there may not be a true love of God or love of parent, but there's sense in which there's still an appreciation of their parent and how the parent provides for them. So you want to encourage them to do that with gratitude. Ephesians uh, 6.2, um, it's interesting here. As you think through the Ten Commandments, uh, the one towards children is the only one that comes with what? With a promise, right? Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And so what is this promise then? Well, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so here we see God's promise to children. And what is the promise? It's the blessings for obedience. It's the blessings for obedience. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, there Solomon says, My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Why? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, is there peace in the heart that lives in defiance of God? No. But when we do what is right by honoring the Lord, obeying Him, submitting to His authority, honoring and obeying our parents, even though... That may be hard amongst peer groups or whatever else. There's a sense of peace knowing we've done what is right. But the one who, in in a sense, rejects God by disobeying him and his parents puts himself in a place of guilt, not a clean conscience, um, and there's not a sense of, of true peace. And then also there can be all sorts of natural consequences that come out of that as well. And so it's interesting. I remember years ago studying Deuteronomy um, 28 with Israel and a whole lot of verses talking about the blessings that God wants to give His children, if they will, obey Him. And they're wonderful, beautiful blessings that we would all want. But then, in addition to all those verses, there's about twice as many verses, but if you don't obey, this, 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 and this. And was God faithful (laughs) to follow through on that when they didn't obey? And was God faithful to bless them when they did obey? Yeah, and so God promises blessings for those that will look to Him, honor Him, obey Him, but then also there's very real consequences um, for those that will not. And so Newton then refers to the second description there as curses for disobedience. Now Proverbs thirteen seventeen, 
uh, says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's pretty descriptive. In fact, you could say there's a little bit of foul play there for children that disobey their parents. Uh, you got it. Good. Just seeing if you're still awake. That's kind of a dad joke. My kids get that all the time. And so obviously, this is not what we want for our children. Uh, in fact, I've seen these things actually take place, not of people, but uh, of critters in the wild, the ravens or crows that will come in and pick out the eyes of something dead and, and vultures come in. And it, it's a nasty picture, but the implication here, and so it's a word picture, it's a visual picture that he's driving home. Basically, you don't look to the Lord, you don't honor him, don't honor your parents. It's not going to go well with you. Okay, And so our children need to understand that, need to be taught that. So in this, Ted Tripp, talking about um, curses and then uh, blessings, he writes, There are innumerable spiritual blessings for children who live under God's structures of authority. They learn that God is good and kind. They learn that creatures find happiness as they know and trust God. They learn to trust God, to work through their... Uh, to work through... Uh, they learn to trust God to work through their parents to bring them uh, to bring blessings to their lives. They learn that true joy is not having my own way, but following the will of God. They learn that living as God has ordained is the best life a created being can have. All right, and so in essence, in summarizing here, verses one through three, and considering the role of parents, uh, as we get into verse four, uh, let me introduce to you um, something that's been very helpful. For me, we've actually uh, used this with a, a few of our kids. We've kind of drawn a circle in the living room on a piece of paper, and we have them stand in it, and we kind of explain this verse. But in considering uh, Ephesians 6 through 1, uh, 1 through 3, we have here the two promises of God, or the two commands of God, to honor and to obey your parents. And if you do so, it will go well. Okay. And so as a parent, I explain to my little children, this is what we want for you. God has said that if you will honor and obey us as we're under his authority, you're under our authority, if you will stay in this circle of blessings, so to speak, it's going to go well with you. But if you disobey, if you dishonor, you put yourself in a difficult situation. You put yourself, in a sense, outside of what God said that he will bless. And by doing that, what are the implications? God opposes the proud. Right? You put yourself in a place where there's going to be very real consequences. All right? The world may say it's okay, but if God doesn't say it's okay, which are you going to live by? Which are you going to, to do? And so just a helpful diagram. And, and then the question then becomes, our children disobey, they, they dishonor, they put themselves outside of this, this circle of blessing. What do we do as parents? What is our role as parents? And so that's where we're going to go in the rest of our time together. And so the parental calling then is the next point there that we find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, so what, what does this verse perhaps have to do with counseling? Nothing at all? Okay, yeah. So as far as the provoking? 
Yeah, anger issues, certainly that's a, that's a big issue. What if somebody comes to you and they want you to counsel their child? Their child's got issues, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. The parent needs to be counseled first. Okay, yeah. And so when I have parents come to me wanting counseling for their children, I don't just immediately meet with the children. In fact, rarely do I meet with the children. If I do with meet the children, I meet the children with somebody else, right? Just because the day we live in. Um, but what I've found is oftentimes as a good counselor, we gather data. We find out what the child is struggling with. We ask the parents about their interaction with that. We, we ask questions. We get dynamics. Often I've found that as you work with a parent, you don't need to work directly with the child. Okay? Um, and so we'll work through that here in a little bit. Um, but we gather good data, and let's then focus in on, on how this might play out. Uh, ultimately, in the home, who is called to lead? Who should the children need to be looking to first and foremost for spiritual guidance? The father. Okay. Is the father a biblical counselor? (laughs) Supposed to be, right? And if he's a Christian, he really ought to be, right? Now, is it okay and good sometimes, and in fact, even wise sometimes, maybe for somebody else to come alongside? Absolutely. But who does the Lord speak to regarding children in the home? Fathers, okay? And so first, the parental calling is upon fathers. They are called to lead. And so from the context of what y'all covered this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and 23, um, why would Paul start off here with this, this section on parenting by addressing fathers and not parents or mothers? Because mothers generally spend the most time with the children, right? Why is he addressing fathers? Okay, yeah, and so as we as we think through the, the context there, um, going back to Ephesians five twenty two through twenty four, uh, as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, by implication, then he's the head of the home. So who bears ultimate responsibility? The fathers, right? And so when it comes to parenting, who bears ultimate authority in the home? It ultimately comes down to the father. He's to be the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. Does that mean the wife isn't needed? Yeah, Yeah, she's very much needed. I'd be in huge trouble without my wife in the parenting process. But who's given the primary responsibility in the home? The fathers. Okay. And he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. And so it starts out then with a negative command, primarily to the fathers, do not provoke. And so that begs the question then, what does it mean to do not provoke? There's a negative command, do not provoke. Uh, To provoke to anger um, does not necessarily mean we're never going to um, do something that's going to upset our kids or that's going to oppose them perhaps in the behavior that they're pursuing. Okay? Um, It doesn't say, fathers, uh, pacify your children. Rather, do not provoke or do not unnecessarily cause them to be angry because, in essence, sin on your part. All right. In other words, you need to take in consideration the things that would unnecessarily provoke them, and and how do you not do that? I found this very very helpful um, years ago, early in my parenting. A book by Lou Priolo called "The Heart of Anger." 
practical help for the prevention and cure of anger in children. This is really for the parents, though. Chapter 2 gives 25 ways that parents can provoke their children to anger. And as I read through those, this was immensely helpful for me because I was very guilty of a few of them. I hadn't even really thought about that as being provocative. Okay, and so a great resource. I'm going to walk you through those, and there's no way we can explain all 25 in the detail and the scripture references that he gives for each of those. But let me just walk you through some of these, and I'll give a little more emphasis to some that I think are perhaps more common uh, than others. The first there, the lack of marital harmony. How can a lack of marital harmony provoke children in the home? Okay, yeah, the argument between parents. Okay, the, the, the children naturally enjoy that. Do they feel safe, secure, loved? Okay. Okay, yep. So parents maybe split on issues and say different things to the child. So there's inconsistency that can provoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if the parents are getting after each other, then it, it causes the kids not to respect the parents. Okay. So you talked about this morning, um, I believe it was this morning, the in marriage, the one flesh intimacy, the importance of marital harmony in the home. Uh, Lou Priello picks up on that as, as one of the points in regards to this. He says, if a husband and wife do not develop the one flesh intimacy intended by God, then over time, various other problems will develop. In other words, if there's not the God-intended harmony, companionship, unity amongst the parents, uh, then it may be if that relationship's not going well, the husband may look for companionship someplace out the home, that the wife then may look for her primary companionship with the children, and that's going to create issue, lack of marital harmony and unity and consistency in the home. Of course, another one um, that, that probably... Uh, that definitely has impact is bitterness. If resentment or bitterness builds up in the marital relationship, are the kids oblivious to that? Or are they able to pick up on that? Yeah, certainly can. And in a sense, it provokes the children to anger. And so who's primarily responsible for that? Fathers do not provoke. Father, what are you doing to create the one flesh intimacy, union, companionship that God has called you to in the context of the church or in the context of the home as you love your wife as Christ so the church, nourishing her and cherishing her. And so again... So much emphasis there. Uh, so important. If that's not taking place, the children will likely be provoked to anger. Another one, yep. um, establishing, maintaining a child center home. Okay? Who's supposed to be at the center of the home? Christ. Christ. And if he's not, ultimately, um, the child's going to be provoked because it becomes all about them. And when it's not all about them, they're going to be provoked because it should be all about them. All right? Yep. Uh, next, modeling sinful anger. Um, the children tend to follow in the footsteps of the parents. Yeah, and so if we manifest that, uh, should we be shocked when our, our kids kind of do the same? And then also if we manifest sinful anger towards our children, um, we're provoking them to anger back towards us. Uh, D, consistently uh, disciplining in anger. Or being inconsistent. Wait, yeah, consistently disciplining in anger. Um, what's James 1, 19-20? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger 
does not bring about the righteousness that God requires. Okay? And so if, if we're modeling sinful anger and we're disciplining out of that anger, we're going to provoke them to, to anger. Uh, another one, uh, E, scolding. Um, could that provoke a child to anger? Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, should there be any unwholesome or corrupting talk come out of our mouths? No, none whatsoever, but only what is uh, edifying, what builds up, what fits the occasion. Another way we can provoke, um, letter F there, being inconsistent with discipline. Uh, and this could be that there's different standards or we don't follow through and the kids just never really know what to expect. And so we can provoke them in that way. H or G, having double standards. Uh, and, and in a sense, uh, do what I say, but not as I do, right? And so we can provoke them in that way. They see the hypocrisy in that. H, being legalistic, um, making... Preferences, man-made rules equal or even superior to God's word itself. Okay, that'll provoke a child to anger because it's ultimately all about pleasing you and not pleasing God, right? So we want to avoid that as well. Uh, I, not admitting when you are wrong. Do our kids know when we're wrong? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in fact, they sometimes pick up on it quicker than, than we pick up on it ourselves. And so we are wrong, what should we do? Be quick to confess, right? Uh, we need to go to them and, and seek their forgiveness for where we have fallen short. Um, constantly finding fault. Obviously, that's going to provoke a child to anger. Parents reversing God-given roles. Okay? And so uh, it may be you know, that could have a lot of different flavors, so to speak. Um, but ultimately, if, if the mom functions as the head of the home, they're not seeing the picture they should be seeing. And, and they know ultimately dad ought to be the one doing this, but he's not. What's wrong with dad? Okay? And that can provoke him to anger as well. Um, L, not listening to a child's opinion or side of the story. So we, we certainly need to hear them out. Uh, comparing uh, one child to another child. Is that, is that going to be edifying? <laughs> no, that will probably provoke him. Not having time to talk. Just simply never being present. Okay, they want to talk, they have things to talk about, but we're just not there to be talked to, to talk with them. Not praising the child. Okay, is it easy to criticize our, our kids? Do they frequently mess up? Not do things the way it should have been done? And do that. But we ought to make an effort to praise them way more than we criticize. There are things where we need to bring to their attention uh, in a loving, appropriate way. But if we tend to be critical of them and demean them in any way, then that's going to provoke them to anger as well. Uh, failing to keep promises. So maybe you told them, we're going to do this this weekend, or especially if this becomes a pattern, uh, that'll provoke them to anger because children look forward to having time with their parents. And if we don't follow through with that, we can provoke them to anger in that way as well. Cue chastising uh, him or her in front of others. Obviously, that's not going to be helpful uh, giving too much freedom, uh, not having or not giving enough freedom, making fun of the child, abusing them physically, obviously that's going to provoke calling them names, and then continuing down the list, having unrealistic expectations, just setting the bar too high, they can't meet it, they, can, they always fall short, uh, provoke them, whether that's in sports or academics or whatever it may be. Uh, showing favoritism toward a, uh, one child or another. Employing child training methodologies inconsistent with God's word. 
Okay, uh, that can certainly provoke him to anger as well. And I'm going to add one more to this uh, because X, Y, it needs a Z, right? So he has 25. I'm going to add one more and give you a Z and write that in if you want. Um, I would say not fulfilling the rest of Ephesians chapter 6, 4 can provoke your child to anger. Right, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Failing to do what God's called us to do uh, can provoke a child to anger. This was the case in my own home. I had wonderful Christian parents, wonderful servants, um, but I also had a good Christian friend. And when I was at his home, his family would pray together, and they would talk about the things of God together, and it was wonderful, and it was beautiful, and I wanted that. And the struggles I had in, in life... My parents weren't engaged with me in those things. Wonderful Christian parents. But I was provoked. And actually, my issue, my heart issue, grew up resenting my dad because he was not the kind of dad I was seeing that Scripture called him to be. All right? And so I was provoked to anger. Um, again, my issue, I should have just talked to him, right? <laughs> but I figured it's his responsibility. It's on him. Point the finger. That's my issue. All right? But we can provoke simply by not doing what God has called us to do. Okay? And our kids know whether we're... We're seeking to be faithful as parents, as fathers or not. All right, so moving from the negative command now to the positive command. To the positive command. And, and part of this outline is going to be from, from Dan Kirk. Uh, if you've been here a few years, you remember Dan Kirk, a wonderful guy. Um, in God's providence, though, he developed uh, dementia and was unable to continue to, to come and to teach. So be praying for him and his family. But... Uh, a wonderful guy, really a father figure in the face to me, and very grateful for him and his ministry. But these next few points are, are from him, and as he took them from the Scriptures. So positive command, but bring them up. And so what does this mean? If this is what God has called fathers to do, and in a sense mothers to come alongside, um, what does it mean to bring them up? Uh, you could summarize that basically to nourish unto maturity. And there's, there's three implications of this, what it means to bring them up. Uh, a, children do not automatically grow up to be what God wants them to be. Have you noticed that? If you just leave them all to themselves, um, don't expect them to, to just be like Christ. Um, and so we need to obviously understand the reality of that. Proverbs 22.15 says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So leave a child alone, what are you going to have? The folly that's enabled to be expressed in, in whatever ways. B, uh, the verb in verse 4, to bring them up is a command, which means that this is God's will for all parents. This is what God has called us to do, to bring them up. And again, this goes back to Deuteronomy 6 and the intentionality that's there. Uh, it, is, it is the only option for us to be faithful Christian parents. Uh, it is also important to note that the verb speaks of an ongoing activity to be engaged in all the time. And hence, nourishing our children to maturity is not just something that we would do on Sundays, right? Rather, it's something we're to do each day throughout the week as we get opportunities presented to us, as we systematically and situationally seek to point them to the Lord. Um, we seek to do this in all of life. And so how do we do this? We nourish them with God's Word. Um, and, and again, one of the aims, hopefully, <laughs> for us as parents is that one day our children will depart from the home. And knowing that day is coming, and it goes by really fast now. I've already got one out, 
uh, and three more that are getting there way quicker than I thought they ever would. Uh, we have limited time with them, right? And so how do we nourish? What does that look like? How do we go about that? How do we seek to be faithful? Uh, how do we bring them up? And so that involves um, what we see here in the next phrase in verse 4. That involves bringing them up in the discipline of the Lord. In the discipline of the Lord. And so this discipline involves training, uh, which in essence is guidance for responsible Christ-honoring living. Uh, to that end, Jim Neuheiser uh, wrote this. He says, parents uh, must um, establish discipline in the home by making expectations clear and bringing consequences for misbehavior. While the gospel is foundational for parenting, it does not eliminate the need for chastisement. Just as civil law restrains sin in society, discipline restrains sin in the home. And so in thinking through what discipline is then, in part, uh, this training or discipline should include um, uh, parents establishing appropriate guidelines based upon biblical principles. Okay, that's important. Establishing guidelines based upon what? Biblical principles. As God's word is impressed upon us, we want to, the guidelines we give our kids, and they need them, right? They need guardrails, keep them out of the ditches. They need guidelines. We need to make sure those guidelines we set are in line with the scriptures and not contrary to the scriptures. And so those guidelines in in some ways can look different from one home to the other, different convictions, uh, but ultimately they need to line up with the scriptures, and the scriptures need to drive those guidelines that we set. 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17. I would say this is another absolutely key parenting verse. In fact, this drives most of, of my parenting. All scripture is what? God breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Does that include parenting? Okay, parenting is a really good work, which means we need to know God's word. But as we seek to parent, the aim, first and foremost, our kids don't come with the downloadable knowledge of God that you just put into them when they're one or two years old, right? They have to be first taught, right? Our kids going to do silly, naive, maybe stupid, ignorant things? Yeah, why? Because they're kids. And therefore, they probably haven't been taught okay so the first thing is to teach them they have to be taught do we want to discipline a kid on something they haven't been taught about we're going to provoke them to anger right and so first thing with the child is we want to make sure we we teach them once we know they've been taught and they choose to disobey or they need help remembering then we rebuke and then we correct show them what that should look like and then we help come alongside them and train them in righteousness. And so just a, a wonderful parenting verse is one of the, the verses that's, that's guided me through most of my parenting with the kids. And so we establish appropriate guidelines based on biblical principles. Next, explaining expectations clearly. What might be some expectations as parents we want to clearly communicate to our kids? We'll sign them all at once. Okay, one at a time. Okay, yeah, the rules and consequences. Okay, there there needs to be a sense of here's what we expect, and particular rules might be 
You can go hang out with your friends, approved friends, for approved time period, but you need to be back by. Okay? You've got to set a time if there's an expectation. You probably don't want to stay up till midnight every night for your own sleep purposes. Whatever it is, rules are set, especially when they're younger. What are some other things we might clearly communicate? Okay, yeah, so take care of the body the Lord's given you, take care of the things He's given you, so chores, right? Now, clear expectation, you tell your kid to clean the room. Five minutes later, they come back, they clean the room. You go up and you look at the room and say, you haven't cleaned your room. Well, in their mind, they did, right? They, they did whatever they thought clean was, or what they could get by with at least. And so part of teaching them is, okay, here's what I mean by having a clean room, and probably you need to actually do it with them at least once so they understand exactly what your expectations are, right? Because if you tell them to clean their room, you think they've disobeyed. Um, They just didn't actually understand what you meant, and you discipline them. You're probably going to provoke them to anger. But if you've walked with them, you know that they know what it means to clean the room, and they haven't done that. Then should a consequence be there? Yes, because they have directly disobeyed, right? But before we give her proof, we need to make sure we've taught and they've actually understood, okay? Um, third, enforcing uh, the guidelines. Oops, skipped ahead there. Yeah, enforcing the guidelines. Um, how do we do that? If we're, if we're going to teach them something, expect something from them, we need to, as with cleaning the room, model for them what we expect, uh, think of the, as far as imitating or modeling, the Apostle Paul, right? Several different places he talks about imitate me as he imitates Christ. In Philippians 4.9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, right? Paul taught them. He lived it out before them. Now he says, go do this. And likewise, with our children, we model before them. We don't just tell them to do something. We show them what it looks like to do that, and then we include them in that, and then we send them out to do that. And so that's part of it. Second, training there. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, a verse that we, we probably know well. Train yourself for what purpose? For godliness. Why? For why bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Okay? And so part of, of, of this training is, is helping them understand, one, what is godliness, and then encouraging them to understand the benefit of that, both for this life and the life to come. And so we, we train them. And the word training here is, is like a, an athletic term. Um, if you're going to train for, let's say, running a 5K race, um, is that training going to involve extra donuts every morning and three hours of extra sleep each day? Yeah, that's probably not going to help you win the race. Rather, it's probably going to involve maybe changing your diet a little bit, uh, but then also having a plan of how you're going to become a faster, better runner, right? How you're going to grow as a runner. And, and likewise, for us to grow, not as a runner, but in godliness, we have to train ourselves. We have to understand, discipline ourselves. We have to understand what this looks like and, and be engaged in those means of grace uh, that we grow in that. So training, uh, we do that with our children, model that for them as well. Enforcing the guidelines, number three, uh, motivating them. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you 
and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So what should be the motivation then, this last part? It is God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. Right? The ultimate motivation for our children um, should be the kingdom of God and His glory. Right? We want it to be the, the love of Christ, the things of God that ultimately motivate them. And again... Um, we get to the heart. We ask them heart questions and we help them understand that and we seek to help them do the right things for the right reasons. And that leads then to correcting. Um, does God discipline or correct His children? How do we know that? It's in the Bible, right? What are some examples in the Bible? The Israelites. Jonah, yeah. Adam and Eve. Yeah, Jesus with Peter. Yeah, all sorts of examples in the scriptures, right? Um, God disciplined Israel. We see that time and time again. Uh, as we get into Hebrews, we've got a whole section of verses there. Hebrews 12, I think 5 uh, through 12. God disciplines who there? His children, right? And it shows it's a good thing because it shows we are His children. And what is the purpose of that discipline then? Um, it is to produce righteousness. And so God disciplines His children. Hebrews 12:11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay? Our children need to know discipline is a good thing. Right? It is for their personal growth. It is for them to look to God, uh, the one to whom uh, has made them, the one whom they are accountable to. Lou Priolo describes Hebrews 12 is basically how to have a spanking, how to handle a spanking from God. Okay, let's think through that. God's spanking his discipline of the children. Uh, but that transfers then because as parents, do we have the responsibility to discipline our children? Yeah, that's part of Ephesians 6.4. And part of that discipline is when they have gotten out of line, there's the training part, but there's also the part where they need to be maybe redirected. And so we're going to take just a few moments to, to talk about um, the use of the rod, guidelines for the use of the rod. Uh, is this important that we understand this in our day and age? Yeah. If you do this poorly, wrongly, you potentially can find yourself in a whole lot of trouble in the culture in which we live because they, they wouldn't get this. And yet... Is the use of the rod a biblical concept? Yeah. In fact, he who spares the rod hates his son. And so there's an implication we ought to be doing this, but there also is a lot of biblical wisdom and things to consider as we do this so that we do it faithfully unto the Lord and don't provoke our children. And so what does that look like? One, check your own heart, right? And so the child has disobeyed and you need to use the rod, you need to bring about discipline. Um... Should we ever discipline or spank while we're angry? Okay. What's potentially going to happen if we do that besides provoking the children? And we may go overboard. <laughs> yeah, you may, may break a, a paint stick. Yeah, yeah. And so um, not only provoking them, but you, you could actually physically damage the child. And and that involves a whole lot of other implications, right? That may remove your rights even as a parent, at least for a time being. And so discipline, spanking, those things are very biblical concepts, but we need to be very careful that we never discipline out of anger. All right? And, and maybe if you find yourself angry at your child and, and excessive force might be used, 
give them a chance to to go sit down for a little bit while you go cool off making a matter of prayer. Or, you know, there may be those times where you tag team with the spouse and say, can you handle this one? I'm not in a frame of mind to do this right now. But we want to make sure we never discipline out of anger, sinful anger. All right, so check our own hearts. Um, and then also an important thing in discipline. We want to discipline out of compassion, right? And not anger. We can be angry because maybe they have offended us or how they've disobeyed us or how they inconvenienced us or whatever it may be. But when we discipline, our concern ought to be primarily not on what they've done, but upon their soul. But upon the fact that this sin is ultimately against the Lord. And it's to Him that they have ultimately offended. And so we should come alongside them with compassion as fellow sinners and view this as a means that the Lord has given us to help them understand their behavior, the heart behind the behavior, and then to help them understand there are real consequences for when we dishonor the Lord in life. All right? So next aspect, that check your, your own heart, give clear instruction um, beforehand. Um, should we just say you should have known better? when they've done something wrong and we spank them, when they didn't actually know better. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're instruct, that we're given discipline based on something that they knew is wrong. This is a willful act of rebellion. This isn't just a childish thing they did that was thoughtless. Okay? I need to be careful in what we spank for. Also, um, if, if, uh, if a warning is appropriate, how many warnings should we give? Only one. <laughs> Only one. All right. There are those times where maybe you've just taught them something and they're, they're trying to obey, but they just slipped up and said, it's not a real big deal. And say, you know, remember what we talked about? Okay, this is your warning. If you do this again, though, we're going to have to discipline. And, you know, after you've done that two or three times, probably it's time to get rid of the warning and just discipline. They need to learn to obey. They need to be intentional in, in their obedience. Now, always discipline uh, a child alone. What's the wisdom in that? Yeah, if you, if you make this a family affair and get the whole family around to watch you discipline a child, there's a sense of shame and humiliation, and you're going to provoke them to anger because the rest of the family does not need to be involved in that, all right? And so respect them in the way that you discipline them, all right? Next, ensure the child understood the instruction and acknowledges that they did not obey. Make sure they know what they should have done. Now, this is important. Maybe you thought that they should have understood this. The reality is they may actually not, and you go ahead and spank them, are you going to provoke them to anger? Yeah, you can necessarily provoke them to anger in that. So make sure they actually really understand. Now, they may pretend to play ignorant, <laughs> right? Um, and sometimes that's happened. You just have to use discernment in that. And maybe a spanking will help them to remember next time what they should have remembered this time. Uh, give them opportunity as well to make a respectful appeal. Are there times that as parents we have misunderstood what has taken place? We saw the last end of it and guilty, but we didn't see what happened before that. And the reality of it is it actually may have fallen on the other person. Or what if the other spouse told them to do one thing, you didn't hear that, you come into the room, you tell them to do another thing, and they're not doing what you told them to do right away. And, and you, you spank them, right? We need to give them the opportunity to say, to, to have a respectful appeal, you know, Dad, before you spank me, would, would you um, listen to to what mom told me or whatever the situation is. Um, so they've got the information. We don't want injustice taking place in, in discipline, right? It needs to be just. It needs to be right. It needs to be there. Uh, also, use scripture to show that discipline is right. All right. What are some passages we could use to show that discipline is right? Ephesians 
where he talked about a couple. God is our Heavenly Father, disciplines us, right? Hebrews 12. Another passage, Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Okay, there's lots of Proverbs that talk about the wisdom and the rightness of, of discipline of parents towards the child. And I think this is helpful as well. Inform the child of the number of swats they will receive. You don't want to be inconsistent even in giving the spankings, right? If mom gives one for this and you give three, it's going to probably provoke a little bit of anger. Or if you gave two spankings for this last time, you gave four spankings this time, same thing. And so be consistent. They need to know what to expect as far as is the number of swats they may receive. Um, this can be a good guideline as well. Use a neutral object to administer the said number of swats. Um, and there's different thoughts about there and using your hand or not using your hand. I think the reality of it is, is if you're loving them the rest of the time, if you use your hand, it's not a big deal. There have been times where we've been out and a child disobeyed and they needed a spanking and I didn't have what we usually use, which is um, one of those little bongy paddles that has a ball on the end. You know, familiar with those little toy? Um, that works really well for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, number one is cheap, <laughs> and so you can have them in different parts of the house if you need them. Um, two, it's not going to leave a mark. Okay, you're not going to bruise them with one of those. It's it's flat, it's spread out, it it stings, it gets the point across, but it doesn't last long, and you're not abusing the child. There's there's not bruises, and it's not excessive. Okay. That's just one option. Somebody said a paint stir stick. That can be another option as well. Don't spend a whole lot of money on an instrument for spanking. Uh, those are, are good options. And so, again, think through that. Be consistent with those things. Um, another thing, use enough force, a number of swats to accomplish the training. Okay, this should, giving a spanking, if you have to do that, should detour them from doing it again. It shouldn't entertain them. Okay? And... And working with parents, there's and hearing from some kids, spankings were a joke because they never hurt. It wasn't really a detouring them from repeating that action. Uh, and also, this can be important as well. We found this a little bit. My wife is much smaller and, and a meek person and, and gentle. And who do you think the kids would rather have a spanking from? <laughs> Her or me? Yeah, they always want mom to spank if they have to be spanked, <laughs> right? Um, and so be consistent as much as you can in that. But also, if, if I'm called into it, they, they really don't want to do that again because it's going to count a little bit more. All right, fighting, disrespect, or rebellion is an indication that more discipline is needed. So if, if they have disobeyed, they need a spanking, and they're willfully not going to let you spank them, then uh, you might give them a few minutes. Okay, why don't you think about this? You can either have a, a spanking when I come back, the number that we decided on, or uh, we can add to that, um, spanking them out. And if they continue to be rebellious, you can add other consequences to that, right? They need to understand the consequences go with the, um, the actions that they continue to, to do. Another important thing is, um, where are we at on this? Yes, I'm not. There we go. Comfort the child. So this should normally be the same person that administers the discipline. And I have found this after the spanking, um, you know, especially when the children are younger, which usually when you do spankings more, um, just they sit next to you if their little child sits on your lap. And those have been some of the most precious moments where they have sinned, they know it, they've dishonored, they've disobeyed, 
you get a sweet tender opportunity after they use a few Kleenexes, perhaps, um, to talk about what they did. And we're going to get into this in a little bit. What they did, what they should have done, that regardless of what they did, you still love them. And it becomes a sweet tender moment where they're not dreading you as a person. They're actually grateful for you to, for helping them um, consider what they did. It should be one of those things that both of you walk away, ideally. child may not do that, but walk away, and, and you can thank the Lord for that opportunity that you were given. Okay, It's not just an inconvenience, it's an opportunity. So teach and counsel the child uh, using Scripture, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute in light of whatever discipline was needed for. Move from behavior to the heart. Okay, so important in the discipline. It's not just addressing the behavior, but helping them understand the heart that was behind that behavior. And again, we're going to get to that here in a minute. Uh, put the issue in the context of, of worship and what they were worshiping, what they were wanting uh, as you instruct them in the process of discipline. Um, show the child his responsibility before God. Again, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 is what? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is... Right? Honor your father and your mother. Did you do this? Did you not do this? What did you do instead? Okay? Uh, present the gospel. And we'll get to an example of this. Help the child to confess his sin, repent, and seek forgiveness from God and appropriate people. And so this is an opportunity for them to own up to it, to see what they have done, to see what God has said, and then to go and, and teach them how to make things right. Uh, give the child a second opportunity to obey. So they didn't obey the first time. Discipline. Okay, now, remember what I instructed you earlier, are you ready to go do that now? And then give them opportunity to go and do what they should have done in the first place. Again, use wisdom with when and where you use the rod. Checkout line in Walmart. Good place to use a rod? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay, so anymore, probably the most appropriate place is in the privacy of your own home. Um, and yeah, just a lot of wisdom issues with spanking in public, anywhere in a public arena at all anymore. Okay. So, building on that, um, teaching children then to think and live out a biblical worldview as part of the discipline and training. And so, again, this goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, just the intentional, systematic, and situational uh, bringing in the Word of God into their lives that you're helping them understand bit by bit, piece by piece, day by day, what it means to where they eat or drink to do all to the glory of God. Right? That's something they're learned, that they learn that they're taught in the course of time. And then five, training children to respond biblically. Okay? And, and what we hope and pray for that they will one day do and respond biblically is that in light of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5.15, they will no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Right? That's what we pray for in the process of discipline and training. Helping them to see how they were living for themselves. Helping them to remember then the one who died for them and the sins that they just committed on dishonoring, disobeying, and that what it now looks like to live for him in light of those things. And that brings us then to the next phrase. Uh, parents are called to bring up children in the discipline uh, as well as uh, the instruction of the Lord. And so instruction means to admonish them, to counsel them. Uh, we see this all over Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Solomon there saying, Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Okay? So we instruct them, we teach them. In this fallen world, do children need instruction and teaching? A whole lot of it, right? Right? Um, 
Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite books, second best-selling book in all time next to the Bible. Um, you have, at this point, Christian and Hopeful. They've arrived at the Delectable Mountains. And there at the Delectable Mountains are the shepherds. They represent pastors. What the pastors are doing is, one, they're, they're showing them the folly of, of these particular things. But then also, they're pointing down the road that they're about to go on. And they're saying, one of the things they said is, beware of... You might read it. Beware of the flatterer. Okay, beware of the flatterer. He's going to seek to deceive you and ultimately to destroy you. And so, yeah, they get it, and then they've got the map. They know to stay with the map. So they're going down the road, and here comes what looks like a shining one, representing one of the angels that was supposed to lead them rightly. It's actually a flatterer. They don't check with what the, the pastors, the shepherds told them. They don't check to the Word of God to see if that's actually the right way or not. They just, oh, that sounds good. We'll go with you. And they go. And they're caught up in a net. Okay? Are there a lot of flatterers in this world? A whole lot of them. And our kids need to be taught, beware of the flatterer. When you're not sure which way to go, and there's a fork in the road, God has given you His Word. And remember those pastors. Remember your parents and what they have instructed you in. And walk in that wisdom. And so we need to give them instruction about what lies ahead. And so uh, what does that involve then? Discerning the thinking and behavior that God would want to change. We give them that kind of instruction. We get that very practically in passages like Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, all those put-offs and, and put-ons. Uh, you get into Ephesians in chapter 5. Uh, how are they to walk? How are they to live? How are they to conduct themselves? They're to do so in love. They're to do so in the light. They're to do so in wisdom. Our kids need to be instructed in that way. That's a part of the instruction uh, that fathers primarily, but parents are called to give to them. And so verbally using God's word to help change their thinking and behavior. Uh, I'm going to give you some, some questions as we kind of uh, start to bring this to an end here. Um, very, very helpful. I use these all the time in parenting. Uh, you can find a copy of these throughout the house. Um, still actually pull them out and read them sometimes, but usually I just kind of have it memorized or do some version of it. Uh, and also I use these in counseling a lot, regardless of what's going on. These are questions. If you're not a parent and you've kind of tuned out, but you want to help others, you want to know why you do what you do and what you should do different, listen to these questions, okay? These are very, very Helpful, And these came from uh, Paul Tripp in his video series, Getting to the Heart of Parenting. And here he's giving these questions for exposing the behavior of the heart while seeking to bring the, the child to restoration. Now, I'm going to uh, seek to apply a very practical example of some children who live in my house. Um, this was years ago, um, so nobody's put on the spot. But... Uh, here's, here's what took place. Um, these are the questions I asked. Somebody's crying in the other room. So as a good parent, I go to see what's happening and I pull out the child first that seems to be most devious in what's taking place. And I asked him this question, what was going on? Uh, and the answer to this, we both wanted the toy at the same time. Okay, you've never had that, I'm sure. Uh, next question, what were you thinking and feeling? Well, I was angry and I wanted the toy. Right? Pretty simple. Next question, what did you do in response? With the scissors in my hand, I cut my sibling. Okay. This is, this is a little bit more of a serious one. That's why I remembered it. Right? And then next question. Now, could I have gotten angry at any point through here? 
Yeah, that was just wrong. Why did you cut your sibling the scissors? What are you doing with those anyways? Right? Would that have been helpful? No. Would that have been coming alongside them, seeking understanding and compassion? No. So keep going through the questions. What did you want? And this, this particular instance was very revealing. Uh, this child said, to get even with my sibling from what happened earlier in the day. I was completely clueless of that. Thank you for that new information. <laughs> I have another opportunity to address something else. Okay, this is revenge. It wasn't just about that toy. There was some resentment already there, and this became the opportunity to express that and to, to give some payback. All right? And the next question, what was the result? Well, my sibling's crying, and I know that I'm in trouble now. Okay? And then the question you want to get to, what should be most important? Right? And this deals with the, with the worship issue. Ultimately, what were they worshiping? What should they have been worshiping? And, and as we think through again, what should we be worshiping? should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. You can use this frequently in parenting. We've been called to love the Lord our God wholeheartedly. Right? And we fall short. This is one example where this child fell short. What does it look like to love the Lord your God? You could take them then to a passage like Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Um, consider others as more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is that applicable for somebody fighting over a toy? Yeah. Okay. But do we want to leave it there? This is what you should do? Or have we missed something in this whole discipline? We've, we've, we've exposed the heart, right? This is what they wanted. This is what's going on in their heart. This is what I want. This is what God wants. Are we going to end it there? This is an opportunity to present the gospel, right? Right behind Philippians 2, 3, and 4, uh, consider others as more significant, comes the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 5 through 11, right? Who humbled himself even to the point of death upon the cross, all right? Was Jesus out to get his own self-interest? Did Jesus deserve that? Now, why did he go there? Ultimately, it's because of what just happened. It was because of the sin in your heart and, and what you did in that and sinning against your brother. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid for that sin. So we could have forgiveness for things like this. And you know what? And oftentimes I'll say this to my kids. I'm not a whole lot different than you. I struggle as well. I still fall short. I still have to go to God. I need the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. And so it's an opportunity to then bring the gospel into their lives. Okay? Now, if we just saw that and that was really stupid and you're grounded for 10 weeks and that's it, what do we just do? We missed a great opportunity. But if we take the behavior, get to the heart, go to God's word, who he is, what he's called them to do, go to Christ, the only one who's done that perfectly, and the one whom we all need because we all fall short we then bring them to a point, hopefully, of seeing their need for Christ, humility, and, and who he is. Last phrase, we're out of time here, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not out of self-interest, right? This is of the Lord. Our parenting is unto the Lord. It's of the Lord through the means he's given us. And so, four quick things there concerning parental discipline and instruction. Christ and his word are the authority for our parenting. Right? Second, Christ and his word provide the content. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that in part you can faithfully parent. 
Christ and his word teach the means, okay? And so we need to rely upon the spirit of God to display the fruit of the spirit in our parenting, to be the kind of parents that God would have us to be, to be faithful in that. And last, Christ and his word reveal the end or goal. Ultimately, that's his glory. For our parents, what we hope to see is what Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount with there in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, when he said this, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, right? That's our prayer for our children, that as we send them out, or perhaps they're already out, we still pray this for them, we still continue to speak truth into their lives as we can, but our prayer is that they would have their lives built upon the firm foundation when the things of this world come at them, that they would know the grace of God to stand firm through the word of God that's been impressed upon them through parenting. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are good. And Lord, as we consider this great high and holy calling that you have given us, we recognize that we need Christ and that we need forgiveness and that we need grace and that we need wisdom to be faithful to the calling you've given us. I pray for those here that you would direct us in that, in in whatever the relationship may be with with parents uh, towards children or, or grandparents towards grandchildren, for those that we have the opportunity to come alongside. Father, may it be your word that directs us, and may it be the love of Christ that directs us to want to honor you through your word, that Christ would receive the glory and honor for which he is worthy. In his name we pray, amen.